Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast presented by TasteWise. My name is Ron, and we're continuing with Alternative Protein Month here at TasteWise, and we have a very special episode today. We have the CEO of Redefine Meat, the new meat company, joining us today, and he's going to be talking about his views on the alternative protein market, the massive opportunities that he sees for it, as well as how he built his company and his brand to uh, go after not the audience that you think he would. So stay tuned, and without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Food Intelligence Podcast. Uh, brought to you by TasteWise today. I have joining me Alon, uh, the CEO here at TasteWise, and I have Ishkar joining us as well, the CEO at Redefine Meat. Ishkar, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Happy, it's a pleasure. Always where Alon is, I follow. <laughs> um, I find myself doing the same. So uh, it is Alternative Protein Month here at TasteWise. So every single thing that we do um, is revolving around alternative proteins. We have a big report coming up on uh, August 19th, as well as our uh, weekly podcast episodes and um, all of our TasteWise live shows, um, all revolving around research sessions about alternative proteins. So one of the things that we wanted to do is to have experts on the podcast uh, to talk about their vision of uh, alternative proteins. So, Eshkhar, we look at you as one of those experts, for better or for worse. Um, so, I'd love for you to just kick us off by telling us a little bit about Redefine Me and, um, you know, what you do there every day and uh, what drove you to start the company. So, Ron, first for us in Redefine Me, every month is Alternative Protein Month. And I think for the world, it's going to be the Alternative Protein Decade. Uh, and, and that's the reason we are here in Redefine Meat. I believe personally that the most important industry of our generation is what you refer to as alternative protein. We call it new meat. We believe it's just new ways to feed the world with what the world's enjoy eating. Uh, I founded the company together with my co-founder three and a half years ago, uh, based on a very personal desire to be in the food tech industry, to do something that is exciting, both from a technological perspective impact and a journey and because i love meat and i stopped eating meat and a lot of the things we're doing in redefine meat is basically trying to satisfy my need to have a good steak and i don't think i'm unique and i think there is a market for what we're doing so it's a good place to be when we started the world didn't understand what it understands today definitely not as mainstream as it is today people told me why would vegan vegans want to eat something that looks like meat Today, I think everybody understands the environmental impact that alternative meat can have and also the consumer trend for trying, experimenting, and actively looking to replace some of the protein they consume from animals with what you call alternative proteins and the gap in the market in terms of what the consumers expect from a good food product. And that's what we're doing. At the core, we're a technology company developing new meat from plants, all the way from basic application ground meat, all the way to steaks, uh, which we are famous for using a 3D printing technology that we developed and we have six patents on uh, that creates the only, as far as we know, large scale industrial 3D printing of food and the only whole muscle cut of alternative protein that is available at quite large scale already uh, some of our meat products are served in restaurants in Israel and during this year also in Europe. And we're hoping to scale fast and become the world's largest meat company. 
That's amazing. And your own personal background is not in food tech, right? So Redefine Meat was kind of how you entered the space? Because I know you worked for HP before where you did something completely different, right? Yeah, the, the real story that I don't tell a lot, I went to, a, to many conferences in the printing industry and I went to once to a food tech conference and I said, I have to be in this, in this ecosystem. They talked about food, about the culinary world, about impact, about sustainability, about uh, trends of consumption. They had chefs, technology people, investors. Nadav was there. Uh, but I'm, I'm a lawyer and I have an MBA and I did product management and marketing for, for what we call in Israel technology companies, which were amazing, amazing businesses, amazing technologies. I never felt any emotional connection to the printing industry, to the 3D printing industry, or, or to help factories become slightly more efficient so their owners can be slightly more rich. So it kind of took you towards the, the food tech. So um, how... Uh... What was the process for you to become kind of an expert in that field? Who are the people that you that you turn to? Because obviously now it seems like it's very easy for you to talk about this field and the technology that uh, you use in order to develop the different products. Um, but you essentially went into this um, without it, without any prior knowledge of how any of this works. So, what were the first few steps that you took? Uh, six and a half years ago, I stopped eating meat. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't become an expert, but I became a follower of Impossible and Beyond, uh, two amazing American-based companies that started the revolution of, of the second generation of alternative protein. And I started studying out of personal interest, what is this magic of taking plants and creating meat out of them, uh, which was very much a romantic idea at that point of time. And when I decided to go to food tech, when I decided to start something on my own in this space, I said, what can be the contribution of a new company, myself, the Israeli ecosystem? And I had an intuition regarding 3D printing of meat. It wasn't a new idea. Some companies in the USA tried to do it. Uh, And I had this revelation, almost a philosophical revelation, that if you can disconnect the texture and the flavor and bring them back together, there is a chance to do something interesting. But it was, it was a very naive, very childish idea. And I started talking with people. I went to people in the food industry. I went to Academy. I went to Tel Chai in the north. I went to the Technion. I, and I started uh, throwing this idea to, to, to the space. And then I got um, some leads, some directions. Some people told me it's stupid. Some people said, if you can do this and this, it might be interesting. And I think because it's a personal curiosity, and because I spent all of my time doing this, uh, I learned much faster than what you usually have in your job. So the process is really going across the world, meeting experts, uh, doing experiments at home at night, going to labs of different disciplines and learning. Uh, but uh, until we hired, we hired engineers quite soon, but all of them change completely our ideas and our direction. So I'm not an expert. I just have a broad overview of the market, different technologies. But it's not that I know today to tell you what's going on in the lab. There's people with PhDs that know much better than I do. I think I have, I I don't eat meat, but I still consume eggs and milk. And I have this passion to go completely vegan, but it has to come through tasty food products so I'm really, really experimenting now with cheeses and milks and eggs 
it's really something that that I think is is a change uh, mentally, but it almost consumes my entire identity now. So so that's how you become an expert. You, you're almost compelled to study something and to come up with ideas and to and to put an effort to to change something in in the way that you are living your life. And for me, it's also my job. Which makes a lot of sense, considering the um, the messaging that I just read on your website about being able to enjoy a steak without compromise. Um, so, if uh, we want to take it to to redefine meat more specifically, um, so we've been having a lot of conversations with companies in this space, and there are a few distinct categories that we're seeing out there, and a lot of subcategories in how you get to that steak or how you get to that burger, whether that is. 3D printed, cultivated, lab grown, um, all uh, all these different kind of paths to it, which I do want to get into. But before then, I want to understand from you. Um, it seems that a lot uh, a lot of this is about recreating experiences that you sort of lost when you stopped eating meat. Whether that is a cultural experience, let's say you know having a barbecue on the Fourth of July is more of like a cultural social experience, or just you know the texture and the smell. And the whole um, like palate experience of uh, of having steak. So, do you believe that that part of it is um, the the better way to go about this in terms of recreating experiences, or do you more believe that we should be focusing on creating a, an entirely new experience that is um, an alternative to, to eating meat? If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense, and and for us, the answer is very easy. Meat and especially steak from a cow is such a distinctive food product with such unique properties that if you can reach those, almost every human being would love it. Uh, and, and what we're trying to do, is, and we believe it's really, really, really getting close to the structure, mechanical properties, chemical properties, uh, even biological composition of animal meat, which is currently only beef. And that will bring with it the entire experience of putting it on a grill, having it connected with with a sauce, sprinkling a little bit of salt on top of it, and enjoying it with the family. But but the company, as a company, looks at the pure, basic, naked piece of steak and tries to understand it fundamentally in all the senses that you mentioned, including the cultural sense, and to recreate that same food product. So it's not about convincing you that our vegan barbecue is just as fun as the barbecue you'll have with your family if you're not a vegan, is by delivering the food product that is as amazing. There is a hierarchy. There are things in your mind that triggers, this is meat and I enjoy it more than others. And we do prioritize them, like mouthfeel, like juiciness, like specific aromas. But eventually we want everything and we want every cut of meat. We're not trying to create a new kind of meat product. Some people told us to steak with a flavor of goose and a little bit of bacon inside and people will love it. We believe that pure beef is something that almost any human being has it embedded in our DNA. I have, I have a question. It's really fascinating, you know, all the different textures and expectations that consumers have. If I go back to the data, right, this is what we do. We, we help companies, you know, get the right data to put together their strategies and to make sure that they're making the right you know, decisions with their, you know, strategic, you know, product development. Um, so to remove the gut feeling into, you know, from the, the equation and, and come with the data. So from just looking at, you know, what what are the main motivations uh, for people to choose vegan? The first thing that uh, really surprised us 
was that, you know, taste is obviously always going to be number one, right? And price number two. And depending on who you are, it's going to switch, right? Sometimes price is more of a sensitivity to depending on your uh, profile and socioeconomic, you know, status. But then the third, quite obviously and quite prominently, is actually health. So people's number one decision to choose vegan is actually health because price and taste is, is uh, as good, you know, for non-vegan as well. And this is actually uh, quite a substantial differentiation. By the way, health is uh, by far more important than animal cruelty and sustainability in the environment combined. So in a way, we, we must reproduce, right, the basic uh, qualities and the basic... Um, you know, uh, aromas and, and textures and juiciness of the product as well as the price and taste. But then the third and most important is that it's going to be health because if it's not going to be as healthy or perceived as healthy, because we know today that consuming beef is not as healthy, but it doesn't matter because what matters is what consumers perceive, you know, uh, eating, a, a, you know, I'll take a different a different category within the poultry is, is going to be uh, chicken breast, right? It's very popular for the day-to-day because it's low fat and uh, relatively good for a cholesterol level. Uh, but we know there's so much hormones in that. So if we want to, you know, move people away from what they're used to, we also have to make sure that the products are, products are super healthy or as healthy and that we're, you know, we don't just, just promise it to the consumer where we can actually deliver. How do you treat that in your overall uh, approach? Uh, so first, I agree with you that this is what the data show. We never ask ourselves in a company, and also it's a part of our DNA, why would somebody eat a plant-based meat product or a vegan product? We ask ourselves, why would somebody eat meat? What makes it uh, for people going back again and again eating meat? And actually, we saw now when we launched the product that the number one question we get is actually not price and, and taste because this is something that people assume, okay, it needs to be tasty and it needs to be affordable, but what does it mean for me in terms of consumer putting this into my body? And then the, the, the perception is that any type of meat is good for you and any type of alternative meat is a, is a compromise on health, which is terrible and it's not necessarily correct. And now we need to optimize because we can, you can easily make a plant-based meat option that is far superior in terms of health over meat, right? No cholesterol, less saturated fat. You can have the same amount of protein, but then it wouldn't be necessarily as tasty. Uh, so we're trying to, to walk this thin line of having some claims regarding health, because we do believe it's better for you to switch meat to plant-based meat, but not doing anything that will prioritize health over taste, even though it's correct, even though the, the data shows this. Uh, even some of our employees, you know, the employees working in Redefine, they say, okay, it's tasty, but I'm going to give this to my kids. Is it healthy? What we are trying to do now a lot is to remind people about the real facts regarding health, not only the perception, because we're not replacing kale salad with a redefined meat steak. We're replacing a steak. And we're replacing now the most processed kind of steaks. We're not replacing now the, the you know, free-range, grass-fed, prime beef in the USA. We want to do that eventually. And, and we have opportunities because we are doing premium products, because we are doing steaks, and because we're doing things that go now to high-end restaurants, to, to pay the price of, of being a little bit more expensive, but introducing better quality ingredients and 
improving a little bit the nutrition. But again, as a company, we believe, it's not data because we have some beliefs and we have intuitions. We do work from the gut, which I know alone is, is something that almost make your mind go crazy. Uh, that taste is the factor that we need to work on. And once we have the most tasty meat product in the world, improving nutrition would be easy and not the other way around. Not optimizing nutrition and then saying it's very, very, it's good for you, but it tastes like tofu. Yeah, fair enough. And it's also, it's a great approach, right? When you look at the data, you can look at it from different angles. You can look at what are vegans expecting, you know, to see. But then if your audience is not vegans, it's actually meat eaters, which is a much larger uh, part of the population, then your considerations must be different. Um, it's clear that also with, um, with you know, with beef, it's clear that, you know, it's unhealthy from any research that is shown today. So, uh, the alternative should be, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, much healthier. It just needs to be, you know, as healthy. And, and this is, uh, of course, something that is is getting consumers very, very bothered uh, about recently. And and, uh, and it's uh, it's great. Uh, again, when you think about health, right, look at what's happening today with all the wildfires coming up from the pollution we're creating. And, and beef, you know, uh, the beef industry, uh, the meat industry is actually... Uh, one of the, the main causes for the pollution we see uh, out there and, and also wildfire. So health is also multi, uh, multi-dimensional you know, uh, perspective. And you know what I like to say, health is also being happy and enjoying life, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and when you eat good meat products, uh, especially when you eat a hamburger alone, I don't know when was the last time you ate a hamburger. I don't like hamburger so much. You don't say, wow, this is a great hamburger. I feel now I'm satisfied with the protein. You want it to be a little bit junk food. And, and it improves the quality of life to eat good food, uh, especially meat. But definitely, if you look looking more holistic, the health of the planet, the health of human being, the future of the next generation, uh, meat is not healthy in that regard, right? Yeah. Uh, th- by the way, one, one comment that you made, we don't look on vegan products. We believe that, that even alternative meat is not created equal. Somebody that eats chicken treats chicken as different um, product than beef. You, after you train, you eat chicken for protein or you eat canned tuna or you eat uh, white fish. When you eat a hamburger, a steak, a sausage, you, you don't remember they have 25 and up to 30% fat, most of it saturated with a lot of cholesterol, right? So, so we believe that the alternative protein trend is not the same when you look at beef, pork, chicken, fish, dairy, and eggs. They have different incentives and different consumers. And indeed, we are targeting meat eaters that in that category, the environmental understanding is much more critical than the, the nutrition or health aspect. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned both that you don't necessarily care about why people eat alternative proteins, like you care about why would they eat meat. And then we also talked about vegans versus meat eaters. So how much... Um, how much thought do you give to like audience segmentation of like, who am I trying to target and who am I trying to position this for? So you feel this product is more positioned for meat eaters or certain generations, or what are your thoughts about the different audiences that consume it? The most amazing thing I learned about the food industry, and you probably know this very well, everybody assumes that they are the entire population. Everybody says, but I, I eat meat, but I don't like eggs. And actually you need to look at the data and we are basically uh, 
overlooking or even a little bit disappointing the vegan community because we are targeting meat eaters that are flexitarians. We are targeting vegetarians and a very small part of the vegan community that misses eating meat. And actually, if you don't look at, at the spectrum of meat eaters through vegetarians, through vegan that miss eating meat, there's no chance of understanding what makes meat really meaty because you get this noise of health, environmental, or, or willingness to compromise. So the product, as a, as a definition of the product, we're actually trying to target in terms of taste, texture, fattiness, mouthfeel, cooking properties, diehard carnivores. Because we, we know, not to the level of data that you know, that within those communities, flexitarians, vegetarians, and even vegans, you have a big enough group that want the same experience. And, and we, we feel our differentiation is, and this is why we put the love for meat, and we say we're a meat company, and we work calling it new meat, and not alternative protein, will come from the meaty experience. If I interview a, a vegan chef, or I, or I have a vegans commenting, it doesn't taste like meat. And we're working with butchers and they say, yeah, ask the vegans if it tastes like meat or not. I don't know anything about meat. Um, and, and, and so the target segment is meat eaters and even diehard carnivores. And we believe even in the vegan community, you have enough. The population is big enough. But for example, we don't tell the chefs now in restaurants, have a vegan cheese with the hamburger or have a, a different uh, menu option. They, most of them have but some of them do not have. And we have a lot of vegans saying, I went to the restaurant, I, I couldn't eat the meat because it's served in a, in a bun that contains eggs. And, and it's okay, not because we believe vegans are doing something wrong. I think, I think veganism is the only way to go, but because the potential and, and the target and the challenge lies in what everybody calls flexitarians. And, and the, the part of flexitarians, and again, tell me what your data show, grows every day. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of the the fastest growing uh, diets, and it's really interesting. I think to also take a look at it from like a generational breakdown um, perspective, because for example, we know that in the consumption of uh, of new meat, um, millennials and Gen X are kind of top of uh, top of the list. But there's also been over the past two years, there's been a fifty seven percent increase with uh, baby boomers. Um, and uh, we are attributing this um, primarily to the association between alternative proteins and increased brain function. So again, kind of tying back into the whole health um, benefits and that we're seeing that, you know, increasing and waning. But if you just compare that uh, to where it was pre-pandemic, and obviously we saw the pandemic give a massive, massive boost to any consumer motivations that has anything to do with immunity, health, gut health or even more mental health. So things like anxiety, stress reliefs, which, which would usually tie back into the more kind of social and, um, and uh, cultural uh, experiences. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think that's, that's incredibly fascinating and actually backed also by our friends at GFI, which we talked uh, to last week. Um, one of the things that Aviv from GFI had pointed out when he was talking about the alternative protein opportunity, he was talking about how they see it as a $14 billion opportunity across the next decade. Um, he was talking about the importance of market education, and we were talking about doing that both at the corporate level when you are communicating with you know, the Nestle's and Kraft Heinz and Unilever's of the world, 
as well as when you're communicating to consumers. So with consumers, I see that you're doing that a lot uh, on your website. And, uh, and Aviv actually pointed Redefine Meat as one of the prime examples of companies who are good at this, um, educating the market with recipes, with explaining how you can use this in your day-to-day lifestyle, because recipes at the end of the day are um, how brands insert themselves into the lifestyle of, uh, of their consumers. But also educating people who work for the larger companies about this is actually not just for hardcore vegans, because maybe just like you said, they're not looking to replicate me, but for flexitarians, for baby boomers who are uh, now more interested in health, uh, for people who are trying to recreate certain experiences. So I would say that given all of that, yeah, the data does, uh, does back up that uh, claim. Um, Ron, I have a question for Alon. So a lot of the data that you refer to looks at the, the consumer level. What we see a lot in our data is that when somebody consumes our meat or alternative meat, they influence a family or, or a meal. And actually in meals that you can convert, you have two vegans or two vegetarians and three carnivores, you can convert those five in that meal to completely plant-based if the product is good enough. But it's much more difficult to do it than having a small offering that only the two vegans will eat. So, so what we're trying to look is if we can bring to a restaurant a, group, a family and offer everybody enjoying the same meat experience and texture, the meat eaters will compromise. And that influences the, the kind of products that we have and the kind of offering that we have. For example, we're now launching our meat in a vegan restaurant for the carnivores going to that vegan restaurants. So finally, they have something to eat in a vegan restaurant. And I think, I think this shift is not apparent yet in, in the data because you need a critical mass of, of conversion to happen for it to show up. Yeah, it, it's, first, it's a really, really smart uh, business strategy, right? To find the right dining occasions where you can actually make a big impact. You know, a five-fold impact is actually a great way to uh, win someone's heart and make sure that they get a product. Um, and you also touched upon, you know, a super fascinating fact that a lot of the new meat companies, as well as new ingredient companies in general, actually are targeting the food service category, the restaurant category, before they go to retail. If we think about it, you know, retail has a lot of uh, barriers to enter and, uh, and also... Um, it's a much more difficult to build a brand. Whereas where you're building your, you know, like the impossible and, be, and beyond, but even before that, you know, Hellman's and Nines, right? It was always there. You get to see the product and exposed to the brand. And, uh, and the most recently, you know, the Oreo related uh, desserts. So it's actually a packaged good that actually made it all the way to the menus. And what you're uh, mentioning is actually what is the right social setting in food service experience and can actually can help us get to uh, to there. And actually through data, we can find the right places where people are actually mixing up, uh, where there's a high population of vegans, and then you can choose your strategy. So one thing we've been doing since COVID started is actually to better, uh, uh, to help our customers basically, to win the hearts and the minds of consumers in the new digital uh, um, food service experience, so the new digital restaurant experience. And there are a lot of opportunities there that uh, come up and uh, would love to show you know, specific examples, but absolutely, I think it's a great uh, use case. But then the question is like, where should you start seeding your product? Which city, uh, which neighborhood, which zip code, right? What kind of, what type of uh, restaurants? 
Uh, can you, you know, tap into these experiences of like family dining and then family dining where there's a lot of vegans is not really nice because you can't share dishes like you used to do before. So would love to show you the way, but uh, I think the way you're looking at, uh, at this, you know, the, from business strategy perspective is actually really, really unique and innovative. And uh, it's going to become uh, really the only way for uh, for a lot of uh, brands to actually make the way to, to the consumers. Not to say that once you succeed in restaurants, you can then easily get your shelf space in the retail uh, area or go direct to consumer, right? Um, so I, I think this is actually a, a great idea and, and valid and, and we can look into the data together. Yeah, and, and Alon, as you said, going to retail has a lot of challenges, but also if you target the vegan community, there's, there is a trend and expectation that products are at retail. All of the restaurants we have now in Israel, which not a lot, are about 25, never had plant-based meat on the menu. So we, we believe it's not only the right way, it's also an opportunity to expand the reach and expand the target segment and expand the, the community that gives us feedback, not, not because of data, but because we really believe our partners in the journey are people who cook meat every day. And most of them still are not convinced that they have to put plant-based meat on the menu if there is any compromise. And we're offering them an initial way to, to be in the segment where they feel comfortable replacing a dish that they have with meat with our meat. But still, it's, it's you know, a few percent of what they sell in meat. And we don't want to be there. We want to be 25, 30% of, of meat that is sold in a good meat restaurant. How are, how are those uh, typically... Uh, positioned on menus uh, today. So if uh, like a, a, a restaurant is not a vegan restaurant, so for example, today we know that uh, only around 9% of U.S. restaurants have um, meat alternatives on, uh, on their menus. That number is, is rising fast, but there's a, still a huge opportunity there. And one of uh, the questions we've been seeing is, if I'm a restaurant that is not geared towards a vegan audience, like you said, how do I position a, a product like this on, on my menu? Is it... Uh, like burger and redefined meat burger, or how do you typically see that listed? It, it changes from restaurant to restaurant. Uh, it's, it's not the same for everybody. What we are most excited for, and we didn't ask, we recommend, people are putting all the menu new meat, they're putting redefined meat, and they're not saying this is our new vegan dish. They're saying this is our, our innovative dish, this is our new dish. This is something you need to try. Of course, it's vegan. We always say, and, and it's, it's true for many segments, Alternative meat needs to be a really good meat product that happens to be vegan. And, and chefs don't want to put something on the menu because it's vegan. They want to put something because they're proud people are going to eat it. And, and the attempt, this is deliberate, and, and we are happy with that, is to offer everybody, any type of consumer, uh, our meat. And, and if you put vegan, if you say this is our vegan dish, or even plant-based dish, nobody who's a, who's a carnivore will immediately look for it. And you see uh, Goshe Daniel uh, in, the, in a sif, in Cafe Asif. It doesn't even mention on the menu that it's vegan or plant-based. New meat, uh, basar chadash in Hebrew, uh, redefined meat. People know how to ask. So consumers ask a lot of questions regarding the food products and, and the waiters educate the, the diners on what they're eating. But as a proposition in the menu, it's a meat proposition, which is amazing. It's exciting. We didn't expect the chefs to, to play along with that especially not the term new meat. This is amazing. It really is. Uh, so I'm, one thing I'm fascinated by is how do you make the decision then? Like how do you make the decision on what your new 
product should be because you have ground beef, you have uh, burgers, you have steaks. Um, and we talked about gut feelings and we talked about data. So um, how often and how do you go about making the decision on a, on a new product? First, completely not something you will call data because it, it, in your perspective, for a company like TestY, it's, it's much more gut feeling than, than data. But during COVID, we had an opportunity to bring all the chefs to our lab. And we started really putting ourselves in front of the reality. Uh, and we got a lot of feedback. So, so we do collect it. We do try to prioritize. We do try to give way to things. But it's not that we are actually using data of numbers. But you see a trend. You can very easily see a trend. And you see when the reaction is, this is interesting, and when the reaction is, wow. And currently, we're just moving with the wow. Everything that is outstanding, unbelievable, too good to be true, we try to improve. Everybody that is, everything that is mediocre, we, we don't follow on. The decision is very intuitive now, but now the, the, the next generation of our product is improvement based on, on big market data. And now we're moving to data too, to collecting data, to doing work, uh, really identifying what we're doing. One thing we do in data from day one is to compare our meat with consumers at large scale to meat. And it's very surprising because when you give people alternative meat while not telling them it's alternative meat, some people prefer it over meat, which is surprising. If you do two plant-based meat products, consumers don't like both of them. But if you, you can eat meat in Israel in good restaurants that is far less meaty and far less tasty than our meat today, which is surprising, but chefs will tell you that. Uh, we had an event, somebody told us, the meat that you use for your hamburger, it's much better than the meat restaurants in Tel Aviv use to make their hamburgers. That, that's correct. And, and I, I just want to say, I think that uh, at different stages of, of a lifetime of a company, you need different levels of certainty in data to be able to make decisions. Uh, we constantly keep saying that uh, TasteWise is just helping, you know, to bring the art to the science. Uh, we don't think, uh, you know, the food industry is just about data and it's just about, you know, getting the right data together. There's a lot of magic in how you build a brand, in how you think about the experience and how, you know, TasteWise started because we wanted to bring more people together around food. And, and it was a challenge because we didn't know what people are eating and what diets they're on. So we said, okay, how can we bridge the gap? And how can an industry, uh, you know, actually deal with the changing needs of people around their diets, nutrition, preferences, and, and, uh, and not to talk about diseases. So we actually think that, you know, bringing people around food uh, and what you're saying by carnivores and non-carnivores for the first time, don't need to, com to compromise and actually come together around uh, food it is not something that um, that only needs data. It needs like the true magic of feeling the ground, of talking to the chefs, of talking to the people that actually consume it. And, and, uh, and it's exciting. And, uh, and I think that, um, that eventually, you know, you give a bite, right? And you don't eat data. You eat a, you eat a burger or you eat a, a plant-based burger or you eat a, you eat a redefined meat burger, right? So Yeah, Alon, we do believe in data. We also need to add the layer of interpreting the data and remembering that when, when something is good, it's good. Uh, but, but data, when you can generate your own data, like what we're doing now, then you can use it. But it's very hard for us to use the data of beyond or data of impossible, which are such different products with different technologies and different reasons. But, but now in large numbers to take decisions, you cannot do it based on gut feeling. 
Yeah, yeah, and and it's clear. You know, you were talking about a lot about the the sensory data, right? It's like you give people, you need to give them to taste the product and, and rank it and so on. Uh, we actually are always excited to, uh, to get involved and see results of sensory experiences. Uh, we take a different approach. We simply you know, uh, reflect what is uh, the market dynamic and what consumers actually uh, talk about as, as a leading factor and indicator of uh, what should be there next, right? And um, yeah, it's always a combination of the two. Uh, how do you interpret great data? And uh, and uh, we we uh, we think this is uh, this is actually the, the way to go. So the the last uh, the last kind of topic that I want us to cover was um, marketing and, and branding. Um, so I know that Ishal, probably from your perspective, you've been at this for a long while, working every day. But from our perspective, kind of outside of uh, of your company. Um, redefine meat, especially in our space, because we, we work in the food tech space. Um, kind of everybody knows who you are. Uh, and I think that uh, you guys have done a great job at positioning your brand and also getting your name out there. So I wanted to get from you, um, what do you think was able to either set you guys apart or how do you uh, went about building this brand from, uh, from nothing? Do you feel it was mostly word of mouth or do you feel like there was a specific uh, campaign or messaging that you feel resonated very well. What was the the approach? Uh, first one, I'm happy that you say that. But if you look at the the consumer, the consumers don't know who's really fine meat. So in the ecosystem, we spent a fair amount of time and energy to build a brand for investors and then for strategic partners. But but now we needed to completely transform the brand, the messaging, and the assets because we're targeting chefs. Uh, and, and one of our challenges is when we go to chefs today, to restaurants, they say, who's really fine meat? You're, you're, you're a startup. And we say, no, we're a meat company. Um, and, and the way that we, we did what we did in the ecosystem is to insist of being very different and, and to say we, we don't fit into any one of the categories. We are a unique category. We are creating a category. We're seeing something that nobody else is seeing. And, and it's not easy to be in this position, but when you're persistent, then you're at least memorable. Now to do it to consumers, it's much more challenging because they're swamped. You know, they, we, we know, you know, there's cultured meat, plant-based meat, 3D printed meat. The consumer doesn't necessarily know what's the difference between an alternative to chicken, alternative to an egg, and alternative to a steak, and they don't care about the technology. And, and then you really need to create a language. And what we decided to do is, again, be very different. We have a packaging. I don't know if you've see it, seen it. When we show it to people, they say, ah, I understand you're doing something different. We said, what's in the market? What consumers know? What's the most distant from it? What's the most unique? Uh, but the promise is very, very special. And, and again, this is something very, very strange, uh, which we don't know what will the results be. It's based on intuition, of course, interviews, of course, experiments, of course, thinking. But it's not that we use data. Uh, it's we, we use what we believe will be a good story to tell one day if it's successful, an amazing story to tell if it's really successful, or still a fun story to tell if it's a complete failure, which is which is something you need to do as, as an entrepreneur in this in this life and when you have options. Uh, but now it's becoming more professional. Again, we're moving to consumers. We're doing things that you know I don't have Instagram, uh, almost no Facebook. We're doing now influencers campaign on Instagram and on TikTok because we started to understand where the consumers are, 
where the number will come from and where the return on marketing investment will come from. Uh, but, but the uniqueness of Redefine Meat is, is true and is in our core. And, and we try to put our messaging based on what we believe in. That's amazing. Um, so to kind of help us wrap up, uh, we have um, a very engaged audience listening, um, which, uh, by the way, uh, if anybody wants to send us anything about the future topics that you'd like us to cover or people that we'd like to have on, feel free to reach out to us at live at tastewise.io. Um, that is really where the whole idea for Alternative Protein Month came from, uh, from the engagement uh, with the audience. And also, we got a lot of questions about this um, after our last episode. Um, you can go to tastewise.io right now and try our free edition for free. It's not a trial. It's free forever. Um, a platform that you can use to explore alternative proteins or any other category, diet, dishes, ingredients, uh, or anything that you're interested in on, uh, on our website. Um, and the folks listening from the large CPGs or from uh, food companies in our space, is there anything, Ashkal, that uh, you'd like to kind of say to the audience about this uh, space, the exciting opportunity in this space, especially for those who are kind of initiating themselves uh, in this space to, to wrap us up? There is a term I really like uh, that is a paraphrase on a different term that speaking about food is like dancing on architecture. You know this phrase? And, and everything that we do in Redefine Meat is so difficult to explain, the technology, the journey, the differentiation. We're just desperate for people to taste it because then you understand everything. Uh, so, so really now we have in Israel, of course, uh, in many restaurants, soon in Europe, and, and this is the real story. Uh, to try our meat, to see what is the distance between animal meat uh, to our meat, and to truly believe that uh, in the next decade you'll have a new industry that we cannot even dream, that is good for the planet, good for health, and will be profitable. So it's a win-win, and it's with good food and a good glass of red wine. Uh, so, so now this is what we're obsessed, getting people to eat our meat and improve it. That's amazing. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Alon, thank you for taking the time to, to talk to us as well. Thank you for having us. And uh, I'm so hungry now. I'm going to, to go and have my... Yeah, we're, we're actually going to be doing... Uh, this is a surprise, but this episode will air after. But we're going to be doing uh, like a, a, a new meet event here at the office to kind of wrap up the, the month that we're doing. So we'll have to put everything to the test and get some redefined meat to, to be as a part of it. Thanks, everybody. Bye.